my god, you posted that? Delete it. I feel so attacked right now. Don't, Don't act me like, like that. that. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Don't At Me. I'm your host, Michaela Copeland, and I'm ready to talk, tittletale, and twerk on social media with you today. Special thanks to Swinburne University, as this will also be airing on Swin Radio every Tuesday. Today, I'm unleashing my inner fangirl. That's right, all those pent-up hormones from puberty are coming out again as I plaster my walls as One Direction's abs. Too much? Thought so. But what you've got today is a professional fangirl here to explore fandoms and everything in between. We're going to be looking at what defines a fandom, how I become fans, the internet's impact, some pros and cons of like fangirls and fanboys themselves. And then we'll look at celebrities' reactions and interactions. And to top it off, we'll just quickly cover how we use social media at concerts. But if you're sitting there scratching your head going, a fandom? Is that like a kingdom of ceiling fans? Well you're in luck. Here's my very own definition. A group of people that bond over a specific topic to the point that it becomes a part of their identity. But I do like Urban Dictionary's take. A group of people who will willingly have their souls devoured by an obsession. But how do you first become a fan of something? Here's a theory for you. The psychological continuum model. This model is a theoretical framework that acknowledges the four levels of attachment an individual can possess towards an athlete. But you can really relate it to becoming a fan of basically anything. Just so happens that I did an assignment on becoming attached to dog surfing. Little dogs on surfboards, can it get any better? So the four steps of becoming a fan of dog surfing include awareness, attraction, attachment and allegiance. Let's go through how a famous surfing dog, Abby, built her fan base. The first level of becoming a fan is awareness. This is when, quote, an individual first discovers a sports team exists, but is not expressed an interest in following that team. Abby creates awareness through 100% of her content being visual. According to Turbular Insights, this is a worthwhile tactic as in 2016, more than 500 million users are watching Facebook videos every day. Once awareness is created, the attraction phase begins. This is where, quote, a person recognizes they have a favorite team and the initial attitude towards a particular team has developed. One strategy to engage and entertain these supporters is to create interest. Abby exhibits how she creates interest through posting multiple topics like competitions, surfing, training, travel, promotion of a new film, yes, a dog surfing film, and other things. Sharing moments behind the scenes reflect an athlete's effort to engage with supporters and helps to cultivate relationships. And then a bond between the athlete and supporter is now formed, called an attachment. An attachment refers to, quote, the degree or strength of association based upon the perceived importance attached to the physical or psychological features associated with the team. In Abby's top five posts, collectively, 153 comments were recorded. Social media empowers individuals to comment on their experiences and opinions of a brand. Other motivations for engagement include passion, hope, and camaraderie. Abby seeks to sustain this engagement through responding to a select few 26 comments. This could be due to a busy training schedule or the idea that a response is like an exclusive privilege that fans have to work for. Either way, supporters are just like beginning to expect their favourite team to communicate and engage with them through social media. And we'll get a little bit into that later with our celebrity segment. The final stage is allegiance. Sort of sounds like a Hunger Games film or something. 
This means that the supporter has fostered a connection with the athlete and that it is persistent, resistant to change, influences cognition and produces consistent and durable behaviour. Allegiant fans are perceived as the ultimate goal and essential to the success of an athlete. When a fan reaches this stage, they are often engaging in burging. Yes, burging. It's a real word. Sounds sort of like vomiting, TBH, but burging is when they bask in the reflected glory of a team. Abby's highest engaging post is her winning third place in the World Dog Surfing Championships. Fan comments use inclusive language such as, congratulations on your win, my beautiful Abby, illustrating the tendency of individuals to publicize their connection with successful others while they have not actually really contributed to the success. So that's how we morph into the fans we are today. And once we pledge our allegiance, we usually get branded with a name. It's time for me now to loudly judge the best and the worst fandom names, and some of them are really funny. Firstly, the best. Keep in mind, I'm a fan of puns, so I might be a little bit biased, but the band The Vamps have their little family. Yes, with a V, I love it. Also, the Trekkies are for Star Trek, and the Mixes are for Little Mix. They're like sort of simple but they're really unique to whatever um, they're trying to relate to, right? If it's band, if it's a TV show. But there are some that are a little bit more creative, like Mahomies for Austin Mahone, Bellarinas for Bella Thorne, and Bayhive for Beyonce. Also, the cute factor goes to Ed Sheeran because his fans, in which I am a part of, we are called the Sheerios, okay? How cute is that, right? However, there are some downright stupid and boring ones. I don't really like... The name Arenators for Ariana, like, please don't come after me. She's so big that she just needs a better name. Like, she could just have, like, my exes. That'd be funny. I don't know. Something like that would be way better than just, like, Arenator. Because Charlie Puth and Selena Gomez have already done that. Like, Selenators, I think, and Charlinators. Something like that. They've already done it. It's done. Also, Britney Spears has the Britney army. Surely that should be the Britney bitches after her iconic line, it's Britney bitch, right? No, it's not. Fix that marketing team, okay? And Zendaya has Z swaggers or Z swaggers, I guess. Go back to 2012, please. We do not use swag in 2019. There are about like a million more. And I honestly know because I really, I just Googled it. But without the internet, were fandoms even a thing? The word fandom as we know it today was first used in a newspaper And the Oxford Dictionary claims that the Publishers Weekly was the first to mention it, referring to a baseball fandom in 1928. I think groups like were around that would be considered fandoms like we say today, but they didn't really have a funky word to describe them. The first modern fandom is considered to be the fandom of the literary detective Sherlock Holmes. But it wasn't cool per se to be a crazy fan in a fandom until the Beatles and Elvis came along. But like a crazy fan back then might have been screaming with signs outside their hotel or like listening to their music on repeat. The internet has revolutionized our capabilities to be a fan of something for better or for worse. Fandoms these days use the internet for many things. You show your support through posting fan art, creating memes, stating opinions, distributing like the entity's work, creating fanfic. But most importantly, we also connect with other people. If nobody likes My Little Pony near you, then you'll be able to find a fellow brony overseas to bond with. I remember making countless friends through my One Direction blog. Granted, I don't talk to any of them now, but I do have a friend from uni who was close with her former 1D Tumblr BFFs. 
Finding others who like that particular thing, who aren't necessarily within 100 kilometers of you, is pretty surreal, like we definitely all take it for granted. When I asked Alika Adkins, a One Direction fan from One Direction group that I'm in, whether fandoms were for the better or for worse when they have access to the internet, she said, quote, I think it's like a mix. So let's explore some pros and cons of this internet revolution. First, a couple of pros. One, you can improve your talents in a specific area. I guarantee many directioners didn't have photo editing abilities before One Direction appeared. My blog led me to teaching myself HTML editing and I loved putting out One Direction themed web layouts. I would have never learned that skill if it wasn't for that band. Two, you feel like you belong. Being in a fandom becomes part of your identity. At one underscore direction underscore wife underscore one likes being able to talk and bond over current news of One Direction with others. It's suddenly like the wallpaper to your room, every Christmas gift you ever receive, your Tumblr password, you name it. Teen Vogue said it best when they said, quote, research shows that a weak sense of belonging is correlated with depression. Finding a greater sense of purpose and developing the belief that you're deeply cared for by others creates a willingness to endure life's challenges. It's not surprising that so many people are drawn to fandoms for that reason alone. It creates a common ground in an otherwise divided and disconnected world. Three, a study by Viacom in 2015 found that 9 out of 10 people agreed that being in a fandom allowed them to discover more related things that they liked. How do you think I started liking the music from 5 Seconds of Summer? They were the support band for One Direction's 2013 tour and 14-year-old me just lapped them up. Four, the internet has opened up the lines of communication. It is no longer a filtered message from the TV telling us Miley Cyrus is dropping a new album, right? Instead, it's a direct line of communication with Miley, like posting on Instagram of behind the scenes in a studio. Social media has also increased the chance of recognition by the celebrity. Before, if you had fan art of like Stranger Things characters, you'd have to mail it to the studio or the actor to get noticed. Now you can just post it online and just tag them or hashtag it. Instead of writing a letter back, they can instantly comment, like, and retweet it. So I think that's pretty cool. However, like everything, there are some cons. One, it can be a little bit depressing that no matter how hard you try, sometimes your idol just will never acknowledge you. They won't know about the 4,000 posts on Twitter. They won't know about your One Direction blog. It can be very disjointing to recognize that a lot of your spare time has been dedicated to a sort of a body that doesn't really know you or personally give back to you. However, their work is sort of their way of showing their appreciation, I think. Two, bullying and fake fans. Those like real dedicated fans have a hatred towards fans that have just begun, right? They're like, oh, you only know Harry Styles' three songs. You don't know that he has like three nipples, right? Those obscure little facts that you're supposed to know once you just enter a fandom, really weird. But they think that you're pretending to like them for clout. And sorry, my older listeners, I will explain. Clout is like social capital to be cool per se. You hang out with a popular girl because it'll make you popular, not because you actually like that bitch, right? So fans get their knickers in a twist when you're not a dedicated fan, therefore they exclude new fans, which can turn into some nasty bullying. Three, Alika Adkins says that a pro of fandoms is that they always work together. But this can also be a con because when they put their mind to it, fandoms can destroy livelihoods. For example, 
the Rick and Morty fandom is heavily made up of males. In the third season, two episodes were credited to the female writers Jane Becker and Jessica Gao. The online news site EU reported that the writers were being harassed on Twitter and even had their personal information put online, which is called doxing. There's no citation of the male writers being harassed in the same way. The co-creator Dan Harmon slammed the bullies saying that if they weren't happy with the episode, they all wrote it so they shouldn't single out the featured writer. Quote, these knobs want to protect the content that they think they own and somehow combine that with the need to be proud of something they have, which is often only their race or gender. Although it's not okay to me, it makes more sense to attack critics of your idol or your favorite show rather than like attack one of your own. You're going after a person who produces the thing that you love so much and the reason why the fandom exists. Why do you want to get on their bad side? Anyway, the passion and motivation of fandoms will always be a pretty temperamental thing. Fandoms can be an overwhelming thing to have for a celebrity. I'd say celebrities who don't originate on social media have a different approach to their following. When an interviewer from People magazine asked Keanu Reeves what he thought about being dubbed as the internet's newest boyfriend, Keanu seemingly had no idea of this term or any idea of his fandom. I've been what, he asked. When the reporter clarified, he replied, I didn't know that. That's wacky. It's harder to measure an actor's fandom because it's not just social media followers. There's a lot of actors that I'm a fan of, but I don't follow them online. And usually social media isn't their full-time source of income. Hence, it's harder for them to find time to interact with fans. However, those that do like to do shout outs, saying thank you to fans can really help keep a celebrity grounded. Paraphrasing from the book, The Social Psychology of the Creation of Sports Fan Identity, a theoretical review of the literature, bit of a mouthful there, but author Zillman from the book finds that saying thanks emphasizes the camaraderie, community and solidarity that lies at the core of any fandom. You've got to thank fans, otherwise Drake's song would go, started from the bottom, now we still at the bottom? You owe them your success. While you want to say thanks, it can be overwhelming to see all these shrines of you as a celebrity. I don't know how One Direction will respond to my fan fiction. Yes, that's right. I found it. It's time. Disclaimer. No, it's not erotic. Calm down. And also, the most cringiest thing I did back then was try and write a fan fiction about self-harm when I had no experience in self-harm or any self-harming thoughts. It's honestly so bizarre that I would ever go down that route as I'd like never had the inclination to do anything harmful to myself. So the fact I'd like pretend to be is really messed up. Anyway, nevertheless, I guess I was exploring some characters. Here's a tame but still cringy snippet I'll read out to you right now. Excuse us, he chuckled and squeezed past me. Harry and Liam followed and disappeared into the crowd. Niall brushed past me as Zane trailed behind him. Zane didn't realise I was there and he knocked me off my feet. My bum hit the ground with a thud. As I tried to get over the embarrassment, Zane immediately spun around and held out his hand to help me up. Oh, I'm so sorry, he mumbled quietly. I tried to speak but my throat was so dry. I took his hand and prepared for him to pull me up but he just blankly stood there. A few moments passed before I realised he was staring at my wrists. I swiftly pulled them away and hoisted myself off the floor. I tried to look sophisticated by brushing the dust and dirt off my dress, but it probably just came off as embarrassed. Zane broke the silence by reaching out to my hand again. He looked me in the eye and spoke one simple word. Why? Because, I stuttered, pulling my hand back again and reaching out for my cardigan. Do you have a pen? He asked. 
I do, a girl screamed and waved a black sharpie in the air. She threw the pen and Zane caught it. For the third time, he held my hand with my palm facing upwards. And then to my surprise, he started writing all over my scars. Two were fresh, but the others had faded. He drew a love heart with his name in the middle on the first one, and he wrote his phone number on the other. I was in truly utter shock that he would just give out his number, just like that. The taxi honked at me, and I looked at Zane, desperate for an answer. He must have read my mind, because he came up with an explanation. Look, I never give out my phone number. Trust me, I'm careful. There is something about you, though, it makes me want to know more. I want to help. Call me tomorrow and I'll explain more, because it looks like your taxi driver is getting impatient. I looked over to the car and he was right. I quickly thanked him and ran to the taxi driver. Who was that guy? The oblivious taxi driver asked me as I scrambled back into the car. This is my favourite line. Okay, ready? Listen. Oh, no one. I smiled and touched my wrist. So there you have it. My old fan fiction. In all honesty, I don't think my writing is like too bad. Just the subject and the character are like terrible. I'll be mortified if One Direction ever bloody read this so I can imagine how celebrities feel like reading this crap about themselves. Do yourself a favour and do not revisit your old fan fiction that you wrote while you were 13. Unless you have a time machine and you can unwrite that shit. The internet hasn't just changed for fandoms, but also the way we experience concerts. Let's go through the whole night. Firstly, you've got to send photos to your friends of opinions on what you're going to wear. Usually jeans and a nice top wins. Then you're ordering an Uber or getting on the train and there's no need to double check if you have the tickets because like they're already on your phone. Unfortunately, the internet hasn't eliminated the excruciating line to get into the concert. But once you're there, you find your seat, you take a photo of the group in your seat and there's always that one photo bomber with a seat behind you. The photo is like the legendary first Snapchat of the night. Now, I'm not opposed to videoing concerts, okay? You want to remember the moment and maybe catch an iconic lyric being sung, but you have to plan which songs you want to enjoy in the moment and which ones you want to Snapchat. Also be wary that nobody ever will watch your story. Like, fact. Nobody wants to tap through four straight minutes of zoomed in LCD screen of Post Malone's face tats. No one. But there is something that tour managers are yet to capitalize off. I'm yet to go to a concert with a specific Snapchat filter. Now, this is a bit strange to me, since literally anyone can make one. To prove this theory, though, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a Snapchat filter for the James Morrison concert that I won tickets for. It's next week. So you bet there will be a Snapchat filter, since you don't need any credentials to make a filter for an event. Roughly, it will cost me about $7 for two hours, so you bet I'm going to do it. They also give you stats, so I'm going to report back on how many people used it. I'm thinking it might be an older crowd, so no promises, but it will be an interesting experiment. However, some people say that smartphones are ruining the experience for others. And I get that. It can be bright and annoying if you're just like behind someone who's got their phone out. But also think about how much easier they make concerts. Mobile tickets save paper. Instant messaging helps you find your mates if you lose them. And your camera allows you to capture the excitement of like your expression and the ear bleeding singing that you're doing in that moment. As always, my opinion on social media in that sort of form is it's in moderation. (whistles) Question time. Here's one from my proof listener who listens to every episode before it goes live. And he gives me amazing notes and support for the podcast. He also happens to be my boyfriend. Hey, Michaela. Loving your work so far and I'm super proud of you. So my question is, 
What are your thoughts on fandoms and the obsessive culture behind the creation and compulsive commitment to them? Do you empathise in any way? Can't wait to hear your response. Obsessive culture can be beneficial if you have the time. It can act as an escape and a distraction. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I started my One Direction blog to try and forget about a boy. So you can get really engulfed in watching like YouTube videos, creating fandom content, making your friends, and that distracts you from whatever you were thinking about before. You just forget about a world you don't fit in or a boy that doesn't like you in my case. But when it becomes a compulsive commitment, then you're in trouble. If it starts overshadowing your school or work, then you need to reevaluate how much time you dedicate to the fandom. I know I sympathize with this aspect because I felt obliged to post on my blog every single day. Otherwise, I'd lose followers. So I set up a queue, spent like an hour replying to messages when I was away and generally just like lived for this blog. It's not until you step back and you go, yes, it was beneficial at the start until it takes over. That's when it can have damaging effects. So don't let it. Fellow fanboys and fangirls, that is this episode done. Drop a review on Apple. It honestly helps a lot. Thank you for listening via podcast or via Swin Radio in Australia. Next week, sadly, there will be no episode. Because I'll be at VidCon. So there will be a jam-packed episode in two weeks of my experience there. I'll even borrow my boss's microphone attachment for my iPhone and we'll do some live interviews, hopefully. I think it'll be so interesting to sort of see the internet basically come to life. I think I'm most excited to meet the Try Guys because, like, Ned is my favourite. His wife and his baby are so cute. I also got some business cards specifically for the podcast, so I am very excited to hand those out. You know me, shameless self-promo. That's what I'm about. Don't at me, guys.